0: Welcome back to Lakes, Woods & Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com. You can find us also on Facebook and at Podcast One, brought to you in part by our partners, Morey Seafood Markets in Baxter and Motley, finest walleye, smoked fish, herring, and seafood. Like Paul always says, eat more fish. Also, whitefish golf in Pequot Lakes, an experience that never disappoints, one of the area's premier 18-hole championship courses. Chris Foley on the phone with me. Chris, hectic week for you. You, uh, we, we, I had uh, a conversation with Dave Sedlowski, and of course, he just got done a couple of years ago following his son around to various state tournaments and the like, and uh, he totally understood. So you were down at the, at the girls' state tournament. The, your daughter, Katie, was playing, and we talked uh, last week what a nice contingent of uh, area golfers we had to head it off to the various state tournaments around Minnesota.
1: Yeah, we the Brainerd Lakes area was very well represented between uh, Class 3A and Class 2A, both boys and girls, and uh, had some nice you know, nice showings at state from all of them, so it was great.
0: Tell me a little bit about the heat. Uh, it seemed to be a very common... Uh, uh, both on the uh, metro, the, the Tw- Tw- Twin Cities news, and of course up here, Jeremy does such a good job with golf coverage. The heat that first day, first really really hot day that Minnesota's had this year, so it took a little out of the kids, maybe.
1: Yeah, you know, fortunately there was a there was it was fairly windy, so it uh, it kept it a lot cooler than it could have been. But gosh, you know, these kids go from playing and. Uh, <laughs> in a uh, 50, 60, 60 degree weather. And, and all of a sudden you throw 90 degrees at them. And it's, uh, uh, it, it was, it was pretty hot and humid and, uh, definitely affected the pace of play and, and how the kids were handling it. So, uh, but that being said, boy, awful, awful high level of play.
0: Yeah. We had Izzy Olson and, uh, Katie Foley on the girls side, both, uh, uh both improved the second day and, uh, and uh, real respectable, right, right around twentieth to thirtieth place. But for both of them,
1: yeah, Izzy finished twenty second, and uh, Katie finished twenty seventh. Uh, not not the finish either of them wanted, but uh, both had uh, you know some some very positive uh, bright spots in, in both their rounds. So that was fun to see. And uh, uh, I'll tell you the the level of girls' play we've talked a little bit about it on the show before, but you know, uh, amazing. The Alex girls who, you know, we, we've had a very difficult time getting past, but have, have competed very well with and leading after the first day of section. They, they win the turnover by 16 shots. Uh, yeah. So, gosh, the two def- defending champions they've won two years in a row. But, boy, on the individual side, Mac, uh, uh,
0: The three last champions were all in the last group, right? Or something like that. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. So they were. They didn't all play together, but gosh, I mean, they, they, they shoot uh, the the Catherine Van Argon shoots sixty seven seventy, so one thirty five. So oh. um, I mean, so what, what that is that? That is seven under for the for the tournament. I mean, wow, uh, that is plain. I, you can put that up against any state in the whole country. And then Isabel, Isabel McCauley shoots one thirty seven. Reese McCauley shoots 139, so three girls under par. There were two girls at even par, and, you know, incredible level of play, so that's fun to see.
0: Yeah, it was interesting, they were the last three state champions uh, coming down the stretch. Uh, I think the the girl who won this year won as an 8th grader as well, right?
1: I think that's right, yeah, Yeah. and uh, she's won one other time, either as an 8th or ninth grader, yeah, uh, she she's going to be playing at St. Thomas, where my daughter Katie's playing.
0: Oh, cool! Good.
1: Yeah, so the, the, uh, there's some there's some bright things ahead for St. Thomas golf.
0: Then on the boys' side of things, for the Warriors, Turner Person and Max Holmstrom both shoot 78 the second day. Had to uh, go home feeling a little better with that second day scoring.
1: Yeah, the the two boys they they both struggled the first day, but the very nice scores the second day. Uh, Turner finished in 55th place, Max 61st place. Um, Adina kind of ran away with the tournament, uh, you know, uh, 589 total, which is really good. Uh, 1 by 14 shots. So uh, again, awfully high level play. The, the 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 winning score was two under this year, that which. Was, you know, last year, I think, uh, gosh, the boys' score was like 14 under for the tournament. Uh, And they definitely, they definitely lengthened the golf course for the boys, um, which put a, uh, uh, the pace of play because of that and the weather was incredibly slow. Uh, But, uh, boy, again, uh, like we talk, incredible level of play.
0: Yeah, six hours out there, I guess, I'd uh, read, huh?
1: No, it was, yeah, it was uh, the boys played in about six, and then the girls yesterday uh, ended up playing in about six, but they had about they had about a forty minute weather delay because of the lightning.
0: Sure. Then on uh, the two A side, Pequot represented themselves very nicely all season long, and they end up third at the state level. And Genevieve, uh, 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 Berkland gets fourth overall. Pretty impressive.
1: Fourth overall for uh, you know ninth grader Genevieve which just played great as well as uh, Morgan Creeker finished ninth place so they, they I, don't, I don't think I don't I think Pequot uh, their oldest player is a junior Morgan yeah their oldest player is a junior so there are there's some bright things ahead for more for uh, for Pequot Lakes and uh, I think they they uh, they should be uh, contenders next year in that state tournament
0: Yeah, we'll probably have their coach, uh, Savannah, on with us here before too long, and she can tell a little story as well. We'll get to a special guest. We got uh, Ron Reed, an interview we had from, uh, he was a starter at the U.S. Open. That'll be uh, coming up here shortly, and also uh, Dave Sedlowski, uh, director of golf at uh, Rutgers. So... Uh, a lot of fun there and uh, both those interviews coming up after this. And then Chris and I will talk a little U.S. Open in the final segment. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Find us also at uh, KL, lakeswoodsandirons.com and Podcast One now. Thanks in part to our sponsors, Ernie's on Gull, and Experience in Dining on the Shores of Gull Lake, open year-round at 11 with deck and patio seating. Also SCR Northern, they're the guys and gals who answer their phones 24-7, the ones with Old Man Winter on the trucks. Special uh, guest with me today, the uh, PGA head professional at uh, Rutgers, Dave Sedlowski, longtime friend of the show, and uh, good to have you back on with us, Dave.
2: Hey, Mac, uh, great to be with you again, and thanks for having me.
0: I'll mention the voice just because, you know, (laughs) doggone it. (laughs) I bring it up every year. Yeah. No, thank you. I'm glad you, don't um, want, I'm glad you don't want morning show work in the Lakeside. Lakes area.
2: Well, being on with you was a pleasure enough, right, now. So,
0: yeah. thank you. <laughs> yes, it is. You're right. Uh Chris uh Chris is um uh, at uh, state today with uh, as we as we uh tape this uh Dave with his daughter Katie playing at state and the second day of state tournament for kind of a good local contingent. The uh uh, two Brainer boys, two Brainer girls. Uh, Pequot Lake sent uh, their boys and girls team and I think we had a little Falls and and maybe a uh, Crosby as well.
2: So Right. Yeah, Frankie Meyer from Crosby. Yeah, Frankie,
0: yeah, Frankie Meyer from Crosby. So quite a quite a lot of good uh, good young kids heading down and playing. I understand the heat kind of kind of had an impact on play on day 1.
2: It sounded like I didn't see a lot of scoring. Um, it sounded like uh, maybe our local kids weren't quite as pleased with their, you know, scores as, as maybe they uh, would have hoped. But um, yeah, with 90 degree temps and it, it sounded like six hour rounds. Yeah, um, that's quite a grind to be out there uh, and throwing a little pressure of the state tournament. And uh, but you know, everybody's got to play with what they have, and uh, it it sure is fun, Mac, every year to see the local kids uh, going down there and you know I've been in the area long enough now this is my ninth season and and just to see you know generations of these kids actually high school you know come and go and um, it's really fun Uh, so uh, hopefully they play well today and have you know at least have a good experience and um, I think there's a lot of younger kids too that will have more opportunities here in the future the way it
0: looks. Yeah Chris and I have talked often I think with you too COVID has had a uh, one of the, one of the few things that had a positive impact on was, uh, the game of golf and the popularity of golf because people wanted to go outside and, uh, that was, uh, the, one of the few chances that they had to get out and uh, get out yeah. in the open air and have a little, uh, family fun
2: with golf. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, the year that the COVID kind of killed all of us, spring sports, um, we partnered with some local courses that year and uh, gave these kids five events to play in yeah. uh, on their own. You know, there was no coaches, um, no parents, and the kids just kind of came on their own. And, and we had about you know, 28, 32 kids in every event from uh, nine area schools, and just to keep them going. And what's fun, you know, seeing the kids that are playing in state this year is I remember some of those names from, from those events here a couple of years ago. So. Um, that's really neat, but, but you're right. I mean, golf is something that, um, that we've been able to do and, uh, the popularity is, is still there and hopefully continues.
0: Yeah. Your son was one of the unlucky ones to get knocked out of a potential trip (laughs) to state by COVID, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, he was. And it was the first, first season that Crosby and Ironton and Aiken were going to combine and, um, you know, really had a good nucleus of kids there. Um, but you know, what do you do? Um, Thankfully, the Minnesota PGA section held a, an event down at Bunker Hills, uh, just for the seniors of that of that year, that they could go and play. And there again, uh, kids went down on their own, no coaches, no fans at all. Yeah. So that was kind of tough. We um, were able to watch them afar though on the computer, which was nice. There was live scoring. Sure. Um, after every hole, the kids would punch in their scores, and uh, it was a little nerve wracking <laughs> watching the computer. <laughs> Uh, but my son did quite well and it was fun. Uh, you know, he got somewhat of an experience anyway, without, without being able to go to state that year. So that was good.
0: Is he going to follow dad in the golf industry or is he, is he I, still playing somewhere? You
2: know, um, no, he's not. <laughs> he was playing at uh, Concordia Moorhead for a few yeah, years. Yeah. Um, but his underlying passion is, is, uh, choral music. Oh, and, awesome. Um, recently got accepted into the Concordia, the top choir there at Concordia and That's, uh, you know, the A-team of the A-team over there. um, It is, boy, what a choir. And and once you're in that, you extracurriculars other than that kind of go out the window. Sure, yeah. Um, So, no, he spent a couple of seasons, and and those even were affected by COVID as well in the college ranks. And uh, got a few events in, though, so so became a collegiate golfer at that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Let's talk about a little golf at Rutgers. Dave, uh, we should mention the Alex 9, which uh, people are certainly familiar with over the years. Nice little nine-hole course that's uh, under some uh, reconstruction this year, and you, you just have, the not just, but you have Jax 18, but no Alex 9 for this summer.
2: Yeah, and Alex 9 in its former form is uh, will no longer be. It has been completely redesigned by... Local legend, if you will, Scott Hoffman, who uh, yeah. was at Madden's for most of his career and, and uh, certainly was instrumental in designing the Classic and building that. Um, also did some work, uh, you know, at the gravel pit there with, with Chuck. And, uh, right. And we were lucky enough to get him here. And when he asked our owners what they envisioned for this new Alex 9, which is now coined Alex 9, the original, um Nice. Our our owners looked him square in the eye and said, "Have you ever seen the par three course at Augusta National?" Um, and Scott said, "Well, yeah." <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: and our owners said, "Well, why don't we why don't we do that?" Um, so certainly not, you know, not an identical version of that, but um, using a, a, a large water feature um, and having all of the holes except for one go into or out of or along that that uh, pond. Yeah. Uh, Everything being a par three, from anywhere from 80 yards to 120 yards long, Uh, slated to be a walking-only course uh, with bent grass wall to wall and white sand bunkers, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be quite a treat. Um, Again, people have enjoyed the Alex course, you know, for many well for 100 years, really, right? And uh, in its various forms, and this will be nothing like it, Um, and it's it's extremely exciting, Mac. Um, there's a flyover on our website, a rendered flyover that uh, people could check out that gives you a really good idea what it's going to look like. So we're really excited about that and, and scheduled to open next year. Great. That is exciting. Yep. You bet. Yeah.
0: And uh, Jack's 18, you've been uh, doing some things with uh, Jack's uh, championship course there, the 18-hole course. One of, I mean, it's just, uh, I've always thought of it as just one of the real gems. And uh, uh, tell me uh, some of the projects going on, on uh, or have that have gone on with uh, Jack's 18.
2: Yeah, boy, and that's that's a whole nother deal. And like you said, you know, it, it's a great, a great layout, very unique. Not many holes uh, mirror each other or even parallel each other. Um, but it's it's grown in over the years, and and by that, it's gotten kind of, uh, you know, brushy. We've got tree limbs hanging over certain areas, and and our new owners recognize that it's got great bones as a layout. Yeah. Um, but just needs to be cleaned up a little bit, and uh, so that's what we're doing right now. Um, anywhere from brushing areas away from tees and greens, um, making some of the hitting lanes off of tees uh, a little more friendly. And uh, we right now we have uh, a local contractor out uh, tearing up a lot of our cart paths and repaving those here in the next week. Um, Bunker renovations, uh, tee box uh, reconstruction and reseeding, and uh, it, it's a lot of things happening all at once. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a and, lot going uh, on at Rutgers all throughout, and <laughs> on the golf course certainly. There certainly is, but uh, thankfully, all the work on the Jax uh, 18 is, you know, still allows golfers to play. Right. Um, maybe you might have to drive around a cart path here or there, but uh, for the most part, it's it's uh, fully playable, and um, you know, over the next course of the next few years, these projects will continue. Um, and uh, this thing is going to shine here um, and it's starting to already so that's that's really fun to see
0: I think I'll go home and uh, pull out my drawer and uh, find some Rutgers scorecards and I'm going <laughs> to ask them if they could redesign a couple holes where there's a lot of 7's <laughs> and 8's <eights.
2: laughs> and, and Boy, I'm glad you brought that up, because that could happen. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I can speak to it at this point, because um, it's not set, but we've certainly looked at a few of those holes that I can probably imagine which ones you're thinking. <laughs>
0: the ones with the big numbers. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, so no, that's certainly in the works, too, uh, at least in the planning stages, um, whether, you know, when that happens, we don't really know yet. Uh, we want to get through the, the new construction of Alex first, of course, so. Um, yeah so no that'll be fun too that's uh, coming in the future
0: some of the things you've had uh, had Dave uh, ladies day and senior day I know those are, are still available
2: they are and I'll tell you Mac uh, yesterday it looked like a Saturday around here um, Tuesdays uh, we have senior days on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Tuesday gets hit harder for some reason I, I don't know if people are just excited to get to get back out after the weekend um, but we had a Absolutely full golf course yesterday morning uh, for Senior Day. Nice. uh, Despite the, you know, the high temps. Um, And uh, so Senior Days are on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at just a $43 value there. And uh, we have Ladies Mondays uh, in conjunction with our Senior Days. A lot of ladies uh, that play out here might qualify as seniors as well, so they have three days during the week that they can play at reduced rates.
0: (laughs) Just asking for a friend, what is that age?
2: yeah 55 oh geez yeah i'm
0: coming out I, <laughs>
2: and i gotta say i'm getting close to that myself man <laughs> um on the flip side of that we have some young adult days uh which you know there's a faction of golfers out there mac that you know they're not juniors anymore uh maybe they're not you know deep into their careers yet or maybe starting families uh things like that and um uh, we, we thought about those folks too. So we have what we call young adult days for uh, uh, golfers that are 19 to
3: 22. Nice. And
2: um, there again, it's and that's Monday through Wednesday. Uh, and for 18 holes with the cart, that rate is just 43 as well. So um, that's kind of a fun thing. Uh, we've had a few, a few young adults out already this year, and they're very surprised uh, if they didn't know about the rate that we present that to them at the counter. So um, that's getting a little bit of traction, which is nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, we had a group from uh, Hubbard out. Dave uh, had dinner at White Oak and uh, a couple days meetings at uh, at Rutgers. But uh, White Oak is right on the golf course, formerly Ziggs, which a lot of golfers might know that name, and now uh, now a White Oak restaurant, which is right there, uh, basically right on the course. Tee off. Our number one's right there after you after you leave the clubhouse and restaurant.
2: Right and i think maybe we spoke last year with that that restaurant along with our golf shop got a complete renovation and uh it's a very nice modern fresh look um and uh you know we we are lucky this day and age that we've got some really nice staff in place uh from front and back of house managers to servers and, and cooks and um summer you know it took a while for summer to get here didn't it this year and um we are finally we're really ramped up uh, staff-wise now with that restaurant. Uh, new menus actually coming out here again shortly uh, for the summer, and uh, so we look forward to people coming out and uh, and sitting on the deck if it's a nice day and overlooking the 18th green, uh, or just coming out uh, you know for lunch or dinner some afternoon and uh, maybe taking a little golf in too.
0: You know what, my friend, the Queen might say, Dave. <laughs> uh, Let's hear it. Uh, if she was at White Oak Grill with me, you know, yeah. she might raise her
2: glass and say,
0: "Time for a little drinky poo." Uh, <laughs> That's right.
2: And we could all toast her oh, on yeah. her seventy years of uh, of uh, being in in power. There, right? Her Majesty, yeah. How about that, man? <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, Dave. What's the best way for uh, listeners to get out there and play? And I mean. Uh, is there a better day of the week to play, or just uh, just uh, contact the clubhouse?
2: I'll tell you what: any day is a good day. Yeah. Um, certainly, if you're available during the week, you know those options are better. Um, or weekends, uh, usually mid to late afternoons tend to slow down a little bit too, with people hitting the cabins and the lakes. Um, but certainly, everything on our website at rutgers.com, tea times can be made right on the website there, or simply calling our golf shop at. Two one eight six seven eight four six four six, and uh, we'd be happy to to have you come out in any in any way that you'd like.
0: All right, Dave. Pleasure to have you on. Anything else you'd like to mention?
2: No, thank you much, and uh, you know, good luck to our high school local high school kids here. Um, hopefully, they can finish strong and uh, and uh, take a good positive thing away from their state experience.
0: All right, that's Dave Sedlowski, PGA head professional at Rutgers. You've been, or you are listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com Also find us at Podcast One brought your way in part by Gravel Pit Golf, Brainerd, uh, Minnesota's newest golf experience. Also by Maury's Seafood in uh, Baxter and Motley. Finest walleye, smoked fish, herring, and seafood. As Paul says, eat more fish. And by Emily Green's Home to the largest green in the universe. It's all about fun at Emily Green's. Well, it's U.S. Open week and uh, uh, Chris Foley is uh, down uh, watching his daughter this week at State in uh, golf, so we uh, try to do this around the U.S. Open if we can find a real relevant interview. And we've uh, got Ron Reed, who we had on the show a couple years back. He is the author of Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock to Pebble Beach for 23 years Ron was the starter on hole number one at the U.S. Open. The guy you hear on TV, here's Arnold Palmer from Pennsylvania. Uh, It's a very cool segment. You're going to recognize some of the players he remembers and some of his ears. So Ron Reed, the author of Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock to Pebble Beach. Here's part of that interview now. Ron, the book has all kinds of uh, great Great chapters. We'll just kind of walk down maybe some of the things we talked about. You had uh, some funny moments. I know uh, we talked a little bit about yesterday about uh, uh, Jumbo Osaki. You had to talk him into playing.
3: <laughs> well, Jumbo, uh, he was first off and at 6.30 in the morning uh, there at Pine, Pinehurst in 99. And I introduced him from Narita, Japan. And in, uh, in his English, he said, I know play. <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't know what to do, and uh, I turned to Tony Zerpoli, the uh, the referee, and I said, "What do I do now?" He says, "Reintroduce him." And at the point, it was an early start. Normally, we started at seven o'clock, but at six thirty, Jumbo thought it was too dark to play. Well, finally, uh, Brandel Shambly, who was playing with him, told me later that somehow I cajoled him to hit it and. Uh, I remember he hit it off into darkness, and about 300 cameras, flash, flashes went off from all of the uh, uh, photographers in Japan that were following their their legend. So, uh, yeah, somehow I convinced him to play. <laughs> then,
0: uh, let's see, Jim Thorpe. We had a, had a you and Jim yeah, Thorpe, Thorpe had a moment. Jim was a bomber, wasn't he?
3: Jim was a bomber. I remember a practice round in 84 at Wingfoot, when he got on the eighth hole, it's, you know, today drivable by a lot of the players. It wasn't then, but he he took his one iron and he he ripped the grip off, so uh, he had his hands only on the tape and iron, and he knocked it on the front of the green with a one iron. But uh, Jim was a great guy, and I, I call him a gentle giant. But um, I had an incident at Baltusrol where he got over the ball; he hadn't even hit it yet, and I got confused. And I didn't want him to be penalized in the, in this crazy situation. And all of a sudden, I interrupted him. I said, Jim, is this a provisional ball? And he looked up, and he smiled. He says, man, I ain't even hit it yet. And you guys are penalized. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a big guy. You know, he played football. And I, I ran up to him, and he smashed his drive down the middle. I tried to give him a big hug, and we laughed later. And he uh, <laughs> Thank God he was forgiving. Uh, Jim was a great guy.
0: And uh, Ian Woosdom, you had uh, had a funny uh, story about Ian as well.
3: Well, well I, I used to handle player registration, and I would ask them as they came in, you know, where do you live? And uh, he said he, he was from Oswestry, England. So for three days, I introduced him from Oswestry, England. Well, on day four, you know, worldwide television, <laughs> um, I introduced him from Oswestry, and he turned around. He didn't have a speaking part, but he says, I'm from Wales. Well, (laughs) I I corrected myself. I'd made a lot of mistakes over the years, and I said the word correction, Wales. Well, now I was flustered, and I continued on with other introductions, and I got to, and here's what I said, and the special observer is Joe Carr, captain of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St. Andrews from Dublin, England <laughs> and there was a murmur in the crowd and I looked over and Joe was laughing and I realized my mistake and I said correction Ireland well the next to speak was um uh, the famous uh, announcer um, Peter Alice and Peter <laughs> Peter came up with this line he says wars have started over less <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah I'll share the post story to that I was Uh, You know, for two days I was in a funk over, you know, blowing the final introduction, and I was in a restaurant all alone, and I ordered a glass of wine, and the waiter, I sensed, I I said, where are you from? He says, I'm from London, England. I said, really? Tell me where is Oswestry? And he said, I don't know, but I was watching the U.S. Open, and he pointed at me. He pointed at me, and he said, You're the guy! You're the guy! <laughs> and it was that one moment when I, I could laugh at myself, and um, the uh, you know the feelings I had went away. I, I could never make another mistake when I didn't laugh about about uh, what I was doing.
0: I suppose with the seriousness of some guys and the looseness of others, there's a, uh, some guys a mispronunciation might bother, and other guys probably would <sighs> laugh it off.
3: I would say uh, once... Um, and and I like Colin Montgomery a lot. I, I always thought he was a good guy. And after I introduced him once, he came over and he said, "It's not colon." <laughs> I said, "Okay, I'll uh, I'll make sure I don't say that again." Um, I I bit the bullet, so to speak, and and I was careful. But um, I'm you
0: know, I'm quite topic. sensitive to that, Ron. That's my <laughs> <laughs> I I had a. Uh, uh, junior high not a junior high, no, a high school phys ed teacher who would always purposely call me Colin just so a few people would chuckle during introductions.
3: Well, I liked him a lot. And um, <laughs> a quick, quick Colin story, you know, he, he could and probably should have won the U.S. Open in 94 when, uh, when Ernie Els did there at Oakmont. And it was the, afterwards, it was, I, I learned what the U.S. Open meant to a player of his caliber. He he lost it uh, privately in the when he called his wife back in Scotland and um, I learned, you know, the emotional side of of what the US Open meant to uh, to a great player like that.
0: Sure. Yeah. Wow. So many heartbreaking and uh, stories about the guys who come second or play themselves out of it late in the day or whatever the case might be. Run up.
1: 1994 was Arnold Palmer's last U.S. Open, and it was played at Oakmont Country Club, so Ken, kind of in his backyard of where he grew up. Tell, tell us about that U.S. Open,
3: what your memories are then. Well, it's in the book. Um, he, um, Arnie, well, he was playing with John Mahaffey and Rocco Mediate, and they were there early, because on Thursday with the starting time, and Arnie wasn't. And I, I knew where he was because I could hear the buzz through the the thousands that were gathered. And uh, finally, I dispatched, uh, which I never did uh, normally, to send security to get him there. And they found him. They brought him in, and he popped through the crowd seconds before his starting time, and all he had was a putter, caddy, no golf bag. So I introduced uh, Rocco, and Rocco teed at one place, and then he picked it up, and he moved the tee. And I began to sense something was going on. They were stalling. And finally he hit it, and then John did the same thing. Arnie was still standing there with just a putter. All of a sudden, here comes, caddy pops through the crowd. I breathe a sigh of relief. I'm looking at two trees that were there at the time, and I'm thinking, man, if I penalize Arnold Palmer. They started, I introduced him, and the crowd went crazy, and all of a sudden he got over the ball. He wasn't comfortable. He didn't know how many clubs he had, so he turned around, and everybody was counting clubs, and nobody was getting 14 clubs, and finally he felt comfortable, and he hit it down the fairway. Well, off he went, several minutes late, possibly could have been penalized in his last U.S. Open. Well, Friday was the final day, and he showed up early, and I took one of the decisions, 6-3-3, and I taped it to my table and highlighted that A, B, and C players must be all there at the same time, present and ready to play. I highlighted it. And he was in good humor. He was always in good humor. And I took him over, and I pointed that out to him. And he looked at me only as Arnold Palmer could, and he says, I was ready to play. He says, I had a putter. I would hit it from here to there. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, as I wrote the book, that was the only only thing I ever wrote down on the pairing sheet and looked back later and and used in writing the book.
0: Your title of that chapter, uh, Arnold Palmer, the goodness of the man. That uh, that's a great uh, title for a chapter, Ron.
3: Well, I, I uh, there are a number of stories that elaborate, and I won't I won't uh, share them all now. But he he was an extraordinary person and. Uh, I traveled from Scotland, uh, circuitously, flew home to Monterey, changed my underwear, flew back to Latrobe, (laughs) having having spent uh, a day and a half to get there, and went to his memorial. And it was something I'll never forget.
0: I'll bet, yeah. And another uh, great—you we talked a little bit about yesterday, and the title of that chapter is great too—is Jack Nicklaus, the softer side.
3: Well, I I've seen it. I've cried with him twice on the first tee. The the last time was his last U.S. Open. And Roger Maltby, who used to cue me to start, you know, the television introduction, came to me and he said, uh, wouldn't it be nice if we did something special? Because, you know, Jack's taking uh, uh, the place of Payne Stewart, who was sadly no longer with us. And uh, I said, you know, I'd like to do that, but the decision was made by people higher up than I we've we've honored Payne Stewart so uh thank you for your suggestion but no thanks and, and Jack came to the tea, and you know what he said to me he says uh, wouldn't it be nice if we honored Payne Stewart well I knew that I knew that he and Roger chatted and I said Jack look it's over but wait a minute when you're introduced you're on stage you can do anything you want just don't tell anybody don't share that you and I made a deal. So Jack got up there, and and, uh, I introduced him from North Palm Beach. And guess what he said? He said, I just want to take a moment to remember our national champion. And I don't think there was a dry eye near the first tee at Pebble Beach. And uh, he hit it down the middle. And the next day, he came up. This is his final round. He looks at me with a smile. He says, well, did I get you in trouble? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I told the press, you know, he broke the deal. Well, we both laughed, and um, but it was a very touching moment and the soft side of Jack Nicklaus.
0: Yeah, yeah, Jack has shed a tear or two that we've all got to see on television, and uh, uh, Jack and Arnold, just two of the two great men of golf. And another one, uh, Tom Watson. I know uh, you've had some uh, experience with Tom as well.
3: Uh, Tom, uh, you know, great, great guy. Uh, one of the most memorable was in, uh, I believe, 2003 at Olympia Fields. And for 21 years, I had had the flag from 1982 when he chipped in to, uh, to take uh, Jack Nicklaus' fifth U.S. Open away from him. Right. I had the flag, and I threw it in a box and forgot about it. Well, I took it to Chicago with me, and I was going to have him sign it, and I would keep the flag. Well, this is this was Tom's last Open, and and of course, the world knew that Bruce Edwards was suffering from ALS, and so I sought Tom on Sunday morning to, to say to him, look, I'd like to give the flag to Bruce. Is that okay? And I never could find him. So up the hill on Sunday, by the way, Tom, is he's got a chance to win in his last U.S. Open, and uh, <laughs> Bruce came up the hill, and he wasn't doing so well. You could tell the disease had set in, and... I said to him, uh, here, I'd like you to have this flag. And he looked at me, and he said, what is this? I said, this is the flag from 21 years ago. And he began to cry, and so did I. (laughs) And uh, finally, Tom came up, and he looked at the two of us. He said, what's going on here? And I told him, I'd given Bruce the flag. And I said, did I do the right thing? And Tom said, you did the right thing. (laughs) So um, that flag today, uh, I'm happy to say it was auctioned. And Tom got it. Tom bought it. And it sits in his office there in Kansas City. So I couldn't be happier. Mm -hmm. That's an incredible story.
0: You're listening to our interview with Ron Reed, author of Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock Hills to Pebble Beach. You can find Ron's book at ronreed.com. ronreed.com, also available on Amazon. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com and also find us at podcast one great landing spot for a Minnesota podcast brought to you in part by our partners Holiday Stores in Cross Lake and Mill Avenue also Mills Automotive Group celebrating their 100 years since 1922 and Cragen's Legacy Courses home to the 2022 uh, CRMC Classic and the new Tom Lehman 18 I guess we can seg into the US Open Chris They were talking about the 94 U.S. Open, and I think it was Tom Lehman and Monty and Ernie Els that came right down to the wire in that one, and uh, Ernie Els ended up winning the title in 94, and Tom Lehman was right on the doorstep of what would have been his first first and only U.S. Open.
1: Yeah, Tom Lehman has some great history at the Country Club, you know, with with that win in the, uh, or I mean that finish in the U.S. Open and how he's in contention there, and then uh, the Ryder Cup was there. That uh, you know, the U.S. Win- won. That Ben Crenshaw was the, the captain, and, and Layman makes the winning putt. So, uh, Tom's got quite a history with with uh, the Country Club in Brookline.
0: Yeah, and speaking of history, just uh, uh, you're a great uh, golf historian yourself, Chris. Brookline really has a lot of history.
1: Yeah, it's you know, uh, the club is, is historically very significant. And, Uh, Number one, it's one of the four, five original founding clubs or charter clubs of the USGA, which, uh, you know, runs the US Open among uh, uh, a number of other great amateur events and administers the rules of golf and is one of the two governing bodies of golf in the world. But, you know, the, the 1913 US Open was at uh, the country club at Brookline and uh, a great story it was won by an amateur Francis We Met and yeah. you know if anybody it, there's a great movie the greatest game ever played that's uh, a Disney movie that tells that story uh, good time to watch it but uh, you know it, it, that win was so significant for a couple of reasons number one Francis We Met was, was 18 years old uh, he was an amateur he beat two the the best two professionals of the day ted ray and harry bard and um what was really cool is 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 he lived right across the street from the country club and and grew up caddying there you know as a younger person caddied there his brother caddied there and uh you know he he wins the the u.s open there in, in dramatic fashion and it francis we met to win there significantly changed the game of golf in the u.s uh at the time of his win there there were only about three hundred thousand golfers in the u.s and you know there were like there were less i think right around 100 golf clubs and his win inspired so many people to play the golf the game uh, and it inspired just everyday people to play the game because at that point it was pretty a uh, pretty elitist game. There weren't there were almost no public golf courses. They were all private clubs. You know, it was a game of the of the wealthy. And, and this 18 year old kid who came from a very uh, middle class background wins wins the U.S. Open. And and uh, you know it spurred this growth of of the game in the in the U.S. And 10 years later, there's like 3 million people playing the game and uh, nearly a thousand golf clubs so it was a it was a pretty it was a turning point for the game in the us so it, it's pretty cool
0: and Boston's got a rich history of great uh, sports writers and sports broadcasters and uh, I was listening to the to the uh, tournament on on the, on the radio a little bit and uh, and one of the guys had gone to Fenway on Tuesday night and one of the announcers said, is there anybody here that didn't go to Fenway on Tuesday night? So <laughs> they're watching the Red Sox. Boston's all excited about Game 6 of the NBA Finals, plus they have the U.S. Open. It's a heck of a week to be uh, wandering around Boston, sounds like.
1: No, no kidding. What a, what a great time to be there.
0: We talked a little bit off, Mike. Uh, the LIV guys are there. They're mostly teened up uh, as we speak this afternoon, and uh, they... Not too many of them in the morning on the first day. But I think it got to be too much of a distraction, Chris. I love the, the history of the Open and I love the kind of some, some of the one hour uh, reviews of past U.S. Opens. I, I kind of really revel in that stuff. And uh, this week we mostly just had uh, a lot of, uh, I don't know, it seemed like a lot of evil LIV guys coming to play in the U.S. Open was kind of the take. And uh, I want more U.S. Open talk. I want golf talk, uh, no. at least within two days of the tournament.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, I, I'm I'm hopeful that now that the tournament's started, that we're going to get away from a little of that and focus more on the uh, on the on the U.S. Open Championship. And uh, I, I I understand it. I mean, it's like we talked last week. It's it's just such a divider in right. the game of golf. But uh, here we've got one of the great championships you know, in golf, one of the four majors, the great history it has. And we're spending more time focused on, uh, you know, basically this rogue tour. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, I, think, I think a lot of the players are frustrated with it. Uh, the media is just doing their job, but let's, uh, let's get to some golf. And, uh, it's, it, it's going to be a great week of golf. And as we speak, uh, we've got a great
0: leaderboard. So, yeah, Danny and I were talking about it on the Balloon Morning Show a little bit, uh, and uh, you know, ripping the guys for taking say a hundred million dollars, and and uh, you know, so and so's only made twenty-five million on the PGA tour. And Danny says it's kind of a first-world problem. <laughs> <laughs> there is no doubt
1: about that. You know. <laughs> they 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 throw those numbers around, and you and you just get used to that. But then you go. I Twenty-five million dollars to play in a golf tournament.
0: Right. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I just need to. I just need to play in the one tournament. That's all.
1: (laughs) That's right. That's right.
0: Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about the course and what you think. I love the. uh, uh, I love the kind of uphill, six hundred and fifty-yard par five. That's going to kind of be fun to see the guys get challenged a little bit on distance.
2: Yeah,
1: it's uh, it's a great venue. You know, it's. Uh, Gil Hance uh, and his partner Jim Wagner kind of redid, redid it about three years ago. They've really, like we've talked on other shows, kind of like Southern Hills for the PGA, they've brought it back to similar character to how the, the, it was originally intended. But LinkedIn it, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great test. you get, you got to drive it really well. The greens are, you know, there's a lot of slope and undulation to them, so it's important to hit it on the right, the right portion of the green. Uh, you don't want to short side yourself. You don't want to hit it in the rough, and uh, it's going to be difficult to the the roughs pretty penal. Uh, Rory McIlroy today, Thursday, shoots 367. As we tape, he's he's tied for the lead. He only missed one fairway today, so. That was, that's kind of the uh, the difference maker. You know, David Lingerman, same thing. I think he missed, he missed, he's three under, missed two fairways. So, yeah. Um, the U the U S Open probably more so than any other tournament of the year puts a premium on on driving the golf ball.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's a, it's kind of a uniqueness to the U S Open, and yeah, you you don't want to hit it in the three foot grass. So <laughs> seems you like know. three feet. I'm sure. You got a uh, last week Canadian Open. Of course, we talked about that before, but you get Rory or Thomas up at the top. Down the stretch, it sure would be fun to have some of golf's big names. We always say that, but really in particular this week for TV drama, If I mean, the, the networks that cover the PGA, they're, they, they're rooting for the PGA, of course, but you think they wouldn't mind a DJ or Phil in the mix on Sunday for TV viewership?
1: <laughs> oh, it would be it would be epic Father's Day of the U.S. Open, and you got uh, the good guys against the bad guys. Right.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. Uh, thanks for the updates from state and uh, U.S. Open, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Mac. It's Chris Foley. I'm Colin McDonald. You've been listening to Lakes Woods and Irons on 1380 KLIZ.